This evening we continue our series working through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And we'll look at the third phrase, your kingdom come. Earlier this year we heard about the Father to whom we pray, our Father in heaven, and the holiness of his name, hallowed be your name. And so this evening we turn our attention to his kingdom. Think for a moment, when you pray your kingdom come, what is it that you're praying about? What are you asking God for? There's been much confusion over uh, the kingdom of God and its coming. Even after the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, the apostles were still unclear, asking, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In his last recorded words on earth, Jesus answered them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. A fuller understanding of God's kingdom will help us as we pray. I hope to give a flavor of the richness of the meaning that is summed up in those three words, your kingdom come, so that as we come to pray, we can do so in the confidence that we are praying in line with God's will. But let me start by dispelling some of the common misconceptions about our Father's kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is not of this world. It cannot be contained by prison bars or chains. It cannot be excluded by political barriers or religious barriers. Armies cannot conquer it. Neither politicians nor people can divide it. It is not at all like the passing kingdoms of, of this world. Nobody can predict its times and dates. So what is God's kingdom? Graham Goldsworthy puts it very helpfully when he writes, God's kingdom is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. We're only going to scratch the surface in our time together tonight, but if I whet your appetite, then there are three books I'd recommend. The first is the book of Matthew, from which these words are taken. He mentions the kingdom of heaven over 50 times in his gospel, and I'm sure you'll find the kingdom parables in chapter 13 beneficial. So why don't you read them, perhaps when you get home tonight? A second is Graham Goldsworthy's book, Gospel and Kingdom, which has an in-depth look into this topic. Or, if you're looking for something a little more readable, then uh, Vaughan Roberts does a great job of distilling Goldsworthy's material in his little book, God's Big Picture, which shows how the kingdom of God is woven through the pages of Scripture from beginning to end. So, although the phrase kingdom of God isn't mentioned in the Old Testament... It's there that we can see its beginnings. We can trace those beginnings right back to the start of Genesis, where we see God establishing the pattern of his kingdom. When he completed his very good creation, there we see God's people, Adam and Eve, in God's place, the Garden of Eden, obeying his rule and enjoying his blessing. God himself walks with them, and he provides abundantly for them. But by the third chapter of Genesis, of course, it has already gone wrong. The kingdom has perished. Satan has entered the world. 
Adam and Eve have sinned by disobeying God and rejecting his rule, and so they are cast out from his place, and they experience his curse instead of his blessing. Work becomes hard for Adam and childbearing painful for Eve. God no longer walks with them, and ultimately, they are under the curse of death. Throughout the next eight chapters, we hear the repeated refrain, and then he died, and then he died. It looks like God's kingdom is in tatters, and yet even there in Genesis 3, we see hints of its restoration. God promises a serpent crusher. We don't have time tonight to look in detail at the development of God's kingdom, but let me give you the view from 10,000 feet. Abraham becomes the next in line of God's people, followed by the nation of Israel, and then Samaritans, Gentiles, and finally all nations. God's place moves from the Garden of Eden to the promised land, Canaan, and then God dwells with the nation of Israel um, in the temple, and finally by his spirit in the hearts of all believers. Throughout history, God's people vary in how closely they walk with him, sometimes worshipping idols, but sometimes turning back to worship the true and living God. And so they experience his blessing to various degrees, at times exiled from the land, and at other times enjoying his presence and his grace. But now we'll fast forward to the end of Revelation, where we see a complete reversal of the effects of the fall. In judgment, God puts an end to Satan, to sin and to its effects. The curse of death is lifted and the kingdom is restored in perfection. There, we see God's new people, the church, the bride of Christ, in God's new place, a new heavens and a new earth. And there they obey him perfectly enjoying his blessing and presence once more. So how do we get from the kingdom in tatters in Genesis 3 to the kingdom made whole again in Revelation? It is, of course, through the cross of Christ, God's anointed king, the sinless one, the serpent crusher, the death defeater, the true Israel, the true temple, Emmanuel, God with us. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's kingdom. In him there is new life now for all who will repent of their sins and put their trust in Christ. And in the life to come, the promise of eternity with God in his new creation. We began tonight thinking about what it really means when we pray your kingdom come. And so I'd like to leave you with three practical suggestions for your prayers. Pray that more people will become God's people. At this part of the prayer that our Lord taught us is at the very heart of God's mission here on earth. We are still living in the days when we have received the power from the Holy Spirit and are to be God's witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So let us pray for our missionaries. Not just that God will protect them and provide for them, but that as they speak gospel words to the people that they meet, that God will bring about repentance and faith. 
that many will be born again into his kingdom. And why not use exactly the same prayer for yourself? For every believer here this evening is a missionary in Edinburgh, or if you're a visitor to wherever God has placed you. God remains patient, not wanting anyone to perish. So we must go with the gospel in our hearts and on our lips. Secondly, lift your eyes heavenward and pray that soon we may enter God's place in all its fullness. Think of the worship of the redeemed from every tribe, tongue and nation as all God's people bow before the throne and give praise to the Lamb. Forget about death, mourning, crying and pain, even though they may be the painful experience that you have just now. Imagine what it will be like for us to dwell fully with our God and pray for Christ's return that will usher that in. The one who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And we say, amen, come Lord Jesus. And finally, whilst we're waiting for Christ's return, pray that God's kingdom will come increasingly in your own life. If you struggle with anger or worry, if you know your relationships aren't pleasing to God, if you fritter away your time or waste your money, wherever you see sin in your life, commit that you will bring it under God's rule and that you may experience God's blessing as you do so. And if you don't see sin in your life tonight, then pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you so that by his power at work within you, you will put right what is wrong to the glory of his name. Let us pray.